Make way, make way. Step aside, please. The infamous outlaw Bash the Stampede is coming through. He's a wanted man with a bounty on his head for 60 billion double dollars, feared everywhere as the humanoid typhoon. <laughs> Watch out, he's a legendary ace gunman, folks. If you come near him and he bites you, don't expect your insurance to cover it. Hey, Mr. Bash, stop by the saloon later. It'll be my treat. We got some of the good stuff. <laughs> You know, I was just wondering, how long are you guys planning on hanging around me? Well, always, Mr. Vash. You see, as Insurance Society representatives, it's our assignment to curb the damages in the cases where you're involved. Isn't that right, Meryl? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Howdy all, and welcome to a rootin' tootin' high noon shootin' episode of the Treehouse Anime Club. My name is Dave, and I am the creator and host of this program. And today, we are covering the production story of Trigon. Animated by Studio Madhouse, produced by Victor Entertainment of Japan and TV Tokyo. The anime was directed by Satoshi Nishimura. And as a bonus, you're getting a twofer. We are also covering the production story of the 2010 film Trigon Badlands Rumble, also directed by Satoshi Nishimura, and a reunion of sorts for the original staff. Trigon is loosely adapted from the manga of the same name, written and illustrated by Yasuhiro Naito. He, the original run of Trigon lasted for 20 chapters in Tokuma Shoten's Monthly Shonen Captain, and this ran from 1995 to 1997 and ended with the magazine's closure. Trigon was picked up and continued as Trigon Maximum in Shonen Gahosha's Young King Hours, starting from October 1997 and concluding in 2007. Gahosha republished Trigon into two volumes and published Maximum into a 14-volume series. When Shonen Gahosha uh, brought Naital in to uh, their staff, he was initially hired to create a new series, but he didn't want to leave Trigun unfinished, so the magazine let him continue the series, but that was the resulting name change with Maximum, which, you know, easy trade. This year marks the 25th anniversary for uh, thereabouts of the anime specifically, so for Dark Horse Comics is releasing deluxe hardcover omnibus editions. The first of this of this set is to release on December 2023. And this first book is also containing the first two volumes of Trigun plus a bunch of extra goodies. You could check it out on Right Stuff Anime to get a pre-order discount. So Trigun is our first of three big shows that we are going to be covering for this year that fall under the Space Western, which is a subgenre of science fiction. That, of course, pulls upon Western tropes. But I prefer the manga tagline summary better by Nighthowl, which reads, Trigun, deep space planet future gun action. Love it. But before we get into Trigun, I got to do the thing where I promote the show and talk about extra stuff. So Treehouse Anime Club is on the air, courtesy of Spotify for podcasters. You can subscribe to our show via Spotify or copy the RSS link into your platform of choice. We post new episodes twice a month on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Central. We have an Instagram, the Treehouse Anime Pod, all one word. You can stay up to date with the show, plus extra goodies. And we have a Discord. I have a link in the Treehouse Anime Club Instagram. Uh, I did have a permanent invite link across there, but wouldn't you know it, Discord recently update and permanent invite links are no longer available. But there is a 30-day invite link in the show notes. And I am trying to keep the Instagram link up to date, kind of refreshed. So getting uh, moving forward a little bit, 
Uh, I'm going to talk about what have I been watching uh, just briefly, because I am recording this episode a couple of days after posting episode four, because by the time you're listening to this, my happy ass is on vacation with my family. But I am prepping for future episodes and slaying the beast that is the backlog. I'm currently rewatching Violet Evergarden. Our next episode coming up, I believe episode six, is going to be covering that series and the movie. So you're getting another two for there. I'm also uh, checking out Revolutionary Girl Utena for the first time. It was on the docket for next year, but I actually moved it up to this year after I saw it requested in our Discord. So for those of you who are posting episode suggestions there, don't think your episode uh, comments are being made in vain. I am definitely watching. So episode seven or eight should be uh, Utena. I'm also watching uh, Great Teacher Onizuka. I tried it a couple of years ago, but I never finished it. So that episode is this year, but it's also a ways out. So that's three upcoming episodes you can expect in the coming weeks. And I'm also going into a rewatch of Outlaw Star. That's going to be our episode 10. That should be out on September 20th. Uh, if I'm looking at my calendar correctly, yes, September 20th. And finally, Cowboy Bebop. I'm debating if it's going to be episode 15 or if it's going to be at the end of the year. But Trigun, Cowboy Bebop, and Outlaw Star are essentially my three big, I call them like the holy trinity of space westerns that would premiere on Toonami. They all also premiered in 1998. So this is a nice uh, 25th anniversary for all three shows. And these are going to be the big ones that if I'm going to put this show on the map, this is how I'm going to put the podcast on the map. And I also just love these shows. I love science fiction in general, and I particularly love the space western. So that's a little bit of what I'm watching. So next up is our friendly little game show. I know I'm just like blazing through these segments real quick because this is going to be a long episode. I'm actually recording the intro portion after uh, recording the main body of the podcast. So, so I had a lot of editing in front of me and the main body easily went over an hour and a half. So I'm just trying to blaze through these as quickly as possible. Our little game show is called the 15 seconds of fame. Here are the rules. I play about 15 seconds of music or a clip from an anime and it is up to you to figure out the anime on top of uh, a clue that I give you. So last week's clue was a series by Production IG based on a manga about an unpaid student worker who's always way in over his head and can literally smell danger. And here is your musical clip. All right, this is your last chance. Do you have any uh, idea of where that is from? Well, I hope you have an idea because your time is up. Our answer is Holic or XXX Holic, but the X's are silent. So Holic is a 24-episode series by Production IG, produced in 2006, and adapted from the manga by popular female powerhouse team Clamp. Holic follows our hapless hero, Kimihiro Watanuki, as he works part-time at the witch Yuko's magic shop to pay off his debt for her removing a curse that causes evil spirits to gather around him. So whenever evil spirits are around, he uh, smells something very stinky. So that's the smelling danger aspect. Most of Watanuki's jobs revolve around various supernatural hijinks on top of the just the various household chores Yuko assigns him around the shop. Holic is actually an incredibly self-referential series for Clamp. This is coming out later in their lineup after most of their biggest hits, 
And Hollick actually directly ties in with another work that is just a big uh, self-referential deal. This is the work of Subasa Reservoir Chronicles. And I find Hollick to be decently entertaining. The show mostly relies on comedy, but there are also plenty of moments of levity and character growth for Watanuki, and he really develops uh, nicely over the series. Yuko, the witch, is also a very entertaining character. She's equal parts playful and mysterious. She'll be goofing off drunk one minute and just completely serious the next, complete business mode. You can never quite pin down her deal, but I really like Holic. I always break it out when it comes time for uh, Halloween. It's not a horror series by any deals, but it, it is a very supernatural series, and I just like watching an occasional episode or two or three around Halloween. So for our segment this episode, I'm actually going to try for a voice clip. And this voice clip actually ended up being more like 25 episodes of fame. And this voice clip ended up being more like 25 seconds of fame. But I wanted to give the full context for the conversation. So here is your clip. Get your detecting hats ready. Here we go. Must be tough working at a convenience store this late at night. It's not so bad. I'm used to it. But you're not used to the black money, are you? Hey, who are you? I'm just someone who happened to see your first deal. You're pretty impressive for a rookie. So then you've been to that city too? Only people who've been to the financial district can tell the difference between regular and black money. Actually, it's called Midas money, because it's issued from the Bank of Midas. All right. And here is your clue. This is a series animated by Tatsunoko Production, so they've been around since the 60s. That's a nice deal. You may have also heard the main character. This is voiced by Todd Habercorn, the man himself. There's not much music in this clip, but we have heard both Todd Habercorn and this music director in a previous episode of the Treehouse Anime Club. And if that's not enough, well, I mean, I've heard of a crash course in economics, but this is just absolutely ridiculous. So good luck, detectives. I hope you have fun. And so I'm going to blaze ahead into my last segment before we jump into the main part of the show. I actually put out a call on the Discord for uh, everyone's thoughts on Trigon, and boy, did y'all deliver. So these are some listener comments uh, about Trigon, because I'm going to have plenty of time to myself, but I want to give y'all a chance to voice your opinions. So Jam and Luigi wrote in, and they also, uh, a detail, they also admit to have their personal email account named after Vash, which I just find hilarious. So naturally, they are big fans of Trigun. And they say, this has to be one of the greatest anime, not only in its prime, but now as well. Hands down, the most enjoyable hero that is not only goofy, but beyond badass. I love the story and how much it draws you in. You really enjoy the characters and their interactions throughout the series. Forever my absolute favorite anime and will always be slightly beating Dragon Ball Universe and Yu Yu Hakusho. Ooh, that's spicy. I don't know about Yu Yu Hakusho, man. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I wonder, I wonder how that one's gonna, gonna go. I'm interested in that one. You like yourself some Trigun. We have another person, uh, Big Kid 782 said, Trigun is the anime that got me into Space Cowboys. To this day, the Diablo episode is one of my favorites. When Vash came walking through the smoke with the glowing blue eyes and Monev got scared, that was all I needed. I enjoy the personality trait where the hero is fun and lovable until it's time to get down to business, and Vash is a great example of that. I actually talk about the uh, Diablo episode in particular uh, near the end of the 1998 series. There's a little bit of a review roundup 
where I do a small bit of comparison and contrast between the manga and the anime. So yeah, absolutely. Diablo is a great episode. And Vash himself is just such a goofball. And yeah, you you guys love yourself some Trigon. And I do as well. I really enjoy this series. I find it, I don't think it's the, I'm not going to say it's the weakest of the three Space Cowboy series between Outlaw Star, Trigun, and Cowboy Bebop. I actually prefer Trigun over Outlaw Star, but I think Outlaw Star and Bebop have the better animation and pacing than Trigun. But but even then, that's just getting down to personal opinion. Out of the out of the three, Trigun is one of the series that I think about the most, even with uh, Spike Spiegel and Cowboy Bebop. Trigun's the one that really makes me sit down and think and inspires the most introspection with me. So that's why I wanted to start things off with Trigun. And so next up, we will get into the main part of the episode proper. And so here we go. This is the production story of Trigun and its 2010 film Trigun Badlands Rumble. I hope you enjoy. Studio Madhouse primarily focuses on TV shows as well as theatrical films. They were pretty heavy in the OVA market back in the day, like the late 80s and early 90s. They produced a lot of the titles that some of us definitely were too young to see at the time. This uh, studio was founded in 1972 by ex-Mushi Pro animators, and some of these guys were also direct understudies of Osamu Tezuka while he was still alive. These are some absolute legends in their field. So kicking things off with our first founder, this is Osamu Dezaki. He was involved in episodes of Astro Boy, also uh, Ashita no Joe, that's Tomorrow's Joe, the 1969 Dororo. And he originally joined Mushi Pro in 1963, and then he went freelance in 1968. He actually passed away in 2001 due to lung cancer. Our second founder is named Rintaro. He actually applied to Toei Productions, but he was turned away because he didn't have a college degree. So he went over to Mushi Pro and worked under Tezuka on episodes of Astro Boy and Kimba the White Lion. Uh, Rintaro went freelance in 1971. I know him best as the director of the 2001 film adaptation of uh, Tezuka's Metropolis, which this is a movie with a interesting backstory that I would like to cover later in the show, maybe next year. But Metropolis was made with the permission of Tezuka's estate, actually, because the man himself forbade Rentaro or anyone else from adapting the comic. More, not, not so much that anything was wrong with Metropolis, it was more of just Tezuka was kind of embarrassed of Metropolis. It was kind of like an earlier comic of his, and he didn't want anyone adapting it because he was kind of embarrassed of it. And Rentaro thought otherwise, so he directed the film in 2001, and it is absolutely excellent. Our next founder is Masao Maruyama. He is actually the studio president of Madhouse from 1980 to 2000, primarily focusing on the production design for their projects. He actually left Madhouse and founded Studio Mappa and is currently the chairman of Studio Mappa. And in April 2016, he founded Studio M2, which he's the current president of. M2 is actually animating the upcoming Netflix series uh, Pluto, based on the manga by Naoki Urusawa. 
And finally, we have the man himself, Yoshiaki Kawajiri. This is one of the most influential anime directors in history. Remember those OVAs and various films that we definitely weren't old enough to see back in the day? Well, this is your director. His peak was during the 80s OVA boom and also just the action films in general. We're talking the director of Wicked City, Ninja Scroll, Goku Midnight Eye, Demon City uh, Shinjuku, Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust, excellent movie, uh, A Wind Named Amnesia, and Cyber City 080. He also directed part five of the Animatrix anthology. And he's still working today, but he primarily seems to have moved on to storyboarding, not so much directing since the late 2000s. Madhouse has also recruited several famous directors over its history. We're talking Masayuki Kojima. He directed Madhouse's adaptation of Monster in 2004. That's another manga by Naoki Urasawa. He's also the current director of Made in Abyss over by uh, Studio Cinema Citrus. We also have Mamoru Hosoda. He's well known for directing The Girl Who Left Through Time and also Summer Wars. But Hosoda actually has founded his own studio, uh, Studio Chizu, in 2011. And that's where he's produced the rest of his films, starting with Wolf Children and up through current day. A big director is Takeshi Koike, and he was also a prolific key animator before becoming a director. But I know him best as the director of Redline, and he's also directed uh, three Lupin the Third films. This is Jigen's Gravestone, Goemon's Blood Spray, and Fujiko's Lie. These movies are more like a darker take on what is typically a generally lighthearted series for Lupin the Third. And finally, one of my favorite directors of all time, Satoshi Kon. Madhouse worked on basically everything that this man was involved with, at least in the director's chair. So Satoshi Kon has one of the strongest catalogs in anime, in my opinion. Unfortunately, just because he was taken away from us uh, too soon by pancreatic cancer in 2010. So his works are Perfect Blue, Paranoia Agent, Millennium Actress. Um, there is Tokyo Godfathers. I don't know why I was blanking on that. And his final film, Paprika. Also, Madhouse has produced some of my favorite shows that I also haven't listed. Also, Hajime no Ippo. That's my boxing series I love so much. Black Lagoon, Death Parade, one of my favorite anime of all time, and also Death Note. And Madhouse also has a rather close working relationship with manga authors as well. I've already talked about Naruki Urasawa. They've done a couple of his works, so Monster and Master Keaton. Also, they work with Clamp, which is a group of all-female manga creators, uh, four ladies. And Madhouse has been in charge of Cardcaptor Sakura, Chobits, Tokyo Babylon, and others. And something that I'm excited for coming up in the fall this year is Free Ren, Beyond Journey's End. This is directed by Keiichiro Sato. This guy directed Bochi the Rock, one of the most high-profile anime of last year. So I'm very excited for this one. So that's enough about Madhouse's catalog. We are here to talk about Trigun. And there's no better place to talk about Trigun than at the beginning. So Trigun takes place on a desert planet called No Man's Land. Some instances it's also called Gunsmoke, but the actual name of the planet is No Man's Land. And on this planet, there exists a legendary gunman, Vash the Stampede. He has a 60 billion double dollar bounty on his head, which honestly makes it rather difficult for him to go anywhere without being chased or shot at by any bounty hunters in the area and also just the townsfolk alike. Every town he visits usually ends up destroyed because of his pursuers, but miraculously no one is ever killed in the chaos. This path of destruction has earned him the infamous nickname, the Humanoid Typhoon. 
He first earned the 60 billion bounty for the destruction of the city July, but Vash himself has retrograde amnesia of the accident. He only remembers the aftermath of that event alongside some scattered fragments of his childhood. Alongside him are Meryl Strife and Millie Thompson. These are two insurance agents from the Bernadelli Insurance Society. They have been assigned to Vash and keep him under surveillance to try and prevent further damage, but once they find the legendary outlaw, Merrill in particular does not believe that the man that they have found is the humanoid typhoon. Vash himself is unassuming, skinny, extremely friendly, has spiky blonde hair. He is he absolutely hates blood. He's an absolute dork and a crybaby and a pacifist to the core. Yet, there is a mysterious aspect to Vash's character that lies just under the surface, a history that the seemingly cowardly gunman is desperate to keep hidden. Trigun originated from uh, Yasuhiro Naitao's fascination with Western movies. I mean, duh, no surprises there. But Naitao in particular wanted Vash to be a different type of hero, to attempt to solve issues without his gun and avoid killing his enemies when forced to draw. Instead, Naitao uses Vash as a more like a narrative vehicle to explore the characters involved in each story arc. Trigun is a very episodic series, both in the manga and the anime, but there is a primary uh, plot. The series generally follows Vash in his travels as he attempts to save lives using non-lethal force. He is also occasionally joined by a wandering priest named Nicholas D. Wolfwood, who is on par with Vash as an expert gunman and also comes with a mysterious past, also bearing a literal giant cross for his trouble, and this cross also doubles as, frankly, an armory and one of the coolest guns in anime. These two men have a great sort of best bro, almost buddy cop dynamic, even as they sometimes clash over ideals. And as the series progresses, more of Ash's history and the also the history of humanity on the planet No Man's Land is revealed, because it turns out Vash has a twin brother named Knives, who absolutely hates humanity and wants to wipe them off the face of the planet. And obviously Vash opposes this, and this forms the main conflict for our series. The primary antagonists in Trigon, aside from Vash's brother, consists of a group called the Gung-Ho Guns. This is a group of assassins who are followers of Knives. Their leader is Legato Blue Summers, and the goal of the Gung-Ho Guns is not so much to kill Vash, but to make him suffer as much as possible and also to tempt him into breaking his ideals. You get that classic conundrum of many superhero stories like Batman and Spider-Man. You know, if you don't kill me, I'm going to blow up the town and everyone in it. Make your choice. That kind of situations. So if you haven't yet seen Trigun, be warned that this episode is going to contain some pretty hefty spoilers for what is a 25-year-old anime at this point. But feel free to leave this episode after the staff breakdown and come back. I'll wait. Just kidding. Uh, but, but, for, but for real, I will also have an additional spoiler warning leading into the character section, just in case. So where can you watch Trigon? You can watch the series and its 2010 movie, Badlands Rumble, over on Crunchyroll and Funimation, both in sub and dub. For my money, Crunchyroll is your best bet, as both the series and the movie are bundled together, again in sub and dub. But if you have Hulu, it's over there as well. And I would be remiss to mention, but Crunchyroll also has the recent CGI reboot series, Trigun Stampede, animated by Studio Orange, which aired earlier this year as both a celebration for the uh, 25th anniversary of Trigun and the 10th anniversary of Studio Orange. This is a studio that has generally been like on the leading edge of 
CG animation in the anime space. In, in general, they do some really good work over there. So getting into the staff breakdown, Trigun is directed by Satoshi Nishimura. This is actually his first uh, real director's credit. And he is also, Satoshi Nishimura is also the director of Bihajime no Ippo. This is the first season and its first two movies. There was a different director for the uh, Hajime no Ippo's second season and beyond. And Nishimura is also the director of another shonen series that I enjoy quite a bit. This is Ushio and Tora, a 90s shonen action series that was animated in 2015 by Studio Mappa. Series composition is by Yosuke Kuroda. This is the head writer. And he's actually currently affiliated with Studio Orphe and on their board of directors. But Kuroda has also been credited with series composition for Gundam Double O and its OVAs, also Gundam Build Fighters. He's also involved in some music for Double O and Build Fighters. Look up the song Tomorrow for Double O and Gunpla World for Build Fighters. He is also the head writer for every season of My Hero Academia and most recently the show Mashal, Magic and Muscles. The art director for Trigun is Hidetoshi Kaneko. He has a long career as a background artist. We're talking Time Bokan, Galaxy Express 3.9 in the 70s. We have the excellent OVA Crusher Joe, also did backgrounds, was on the background team for Kiki's Delivery Service and My Neighbor Totoro in the 80s. So he's done a little bit of work for Studio Ghibli as well. As an art director, he has been on the film Arion. He also did the first 17 episodes for the epic series Legend of the Galactic Heroes. And here we go. He was the art director for Hajime no Ippo. Color design was by Akihiko Isozaki. This is a digital animator with Studio Oz. Has been a background worker for most of their career, uh, background designs, also doing uh, checking for in-betweens and doing cleanup quality control work on the animation. So they do a lot of digital coloring and effects. And in terms of the head color coordinator, we have, again, Trigun and Hajime no Ippo Season 1 are Isozaki's two credits as the major deal. And I bring these guys up because the planet No Man's Land is practically Mad Max meets Dune meets the good, the bad, the ugly. We even have giant sandworms, but they're nowhere near as prevalent as Dune's. I don't think they really make an appearance in the Trigun in the 1998 anime, but they are more of a focus in Stampede. And of course, they are pulling Stampede has the entire manga to pull from. So that's kind of where they come from. But the world design overall for Trigun is rather light. No Man's Land is a true desert planet. There's no forests or like hardly any vegetation at all. Farmland is also never shown. There are no uh, lakes or rivers, any kind of bodies of water. All the water is drawn from wells. In summation, like this is virtually inhospitable for human life. So a lot of your houses are constructed of mud brick or adobe, maybe a couple of wooden support beams for a porch. You can infer from some of these locations that it is kind of possible to grow crops and trees on the planet, but these commodities are like extremely scarce. And unfortunately, most of the landscapes are kind of bland. Like if we're talking the mud brick and adobe houses, well, the, the landscapes are the same color as the town. The day sky also has two suns. The night sky has anywhere up to like five moons. It's all in all not very interesting to look at, but the desolation of no man's land is kind of the point. 
it's humanity's survival is just hangs by such a knife's edge. And that's before you have to worry about all the crazy desert bandits, which leans more into the Mad Max aspect of the show. On this planet, you have seven major cities. Each of them are named after a month in the calendar. But of course, the July city was knocked out 20 years ago. There are also several smaller cities, mostly named after American states and towns. You have cities like New Miami, New Colorado, Nebraska. There are also smaller towns still, and these are uh, more like just outposts. But we do have some more notable locations in the show. Some of these outposts are like Genora Rock, so named for the rock feature. And you also have Dankentown, so named for, I don't know, it's Dankentown. So these smaller towns act more like outposts, but also the larger towns are loomed over by these giant construction features with what looks to be like an even bigger upside down Edison light bulb. Like these things like completely dwarf the towns that they're in. And inside these light bulbs, you see like a a giant sphere. And these weird buildings are called plants, like a power plant. And these plants generate everything humanity needs to survive on the planet, primarily energy, but they can also generate uh, a little bit of food and water needs as well. And so these giant light bulbs and their function operates via what most folks call a lost technology, as in like no one really knows how these plants work aside from a few specialized individuals, and even then their knowledge is limited. The existence of these plants is absolutely vital for survival. Otherwise, like everyone dies. If a town loses their plant, they have like literally no resources, and there's simply not enough on the planet to go around, especially for these more isolated outposts, which kind of keep their existence alive by trading with the larger towns that may have plants. And a lot of the engineers for these plants are more on the electrical side, but there's something else going on with these plants that are kind of beyond everyone's understanding. And this is because humanity itself are like more recent visitors to the planet, but this was not a three-point landing. A lot of people died to colonize this planet, and a lot of knowledge was lost in the process. So getting into character designs, we have Takehiro Yoshimatsu heading that up. He was also involved in key animation for Vampire Hunter D in 1985, that OVA movie. He is also the character designer and chief animation director for Hunter Hunter, the 2011 series, the season one of Overlord and its movies, And one thing of note to Trigun's 1998 version, at least, is there is no chief animation director listed in the opening credits to the show or in the databases. Instead, the credits for Trigun list about 17 animation directors as well as 17 episode directors. There are some names overlapping, as well as some of the animation directors or episode directors will have storyboarder credits. So these episode-specific credits are more or less listed in the ending credit sequence. So you can look up specific episodes online if you have any particular standouts. You can find out who worked on it. Instead of a chief animation director credit, we have animation produced by Studio Madhouse. It's just like a blanket statement. And they also have the animation producer listed as Masao Morisawa. And he's also been the animation producer for Kids on the Slope, Tower of God. And he was an animation producer on Redline. And this is just a case of anime credits sometimes being weird and obtuse. Uh, Case in point, episode two of the Treehouse Anime Club, we talked about Studio Sunrise and the studio pseudonym of Hajime Yatate. We only know specific details of who did what on the project for Ronin Warriors because of interviews years after the fact. 
getting into a sort of side credit here, we have Mech Designs, Mechanical Designs, by Noriyuki Jinguji. I think I said that right. I probably butchered that last name. Uh, this man has a wide range of design works. He has done production design on Helsing and Helsing Ultimate, that really badass vampire series. Also, prop design on the show Blood Blockade Battlefront. And when we think of mech design, we typically attribute this to giant robots. But mech design also extends to vehicles like aircraft, spacecraft, cars. The cities of Trigon are pockets of these mostly isolated communities spread wide across the planet. So the major mode of transport for people and goods across the wide expanses of deserts are called sand steamers. These are giant hulking, just massive machines that are mix of like, you can think of them like Old West steam locomotives. And if they had a baby with the sand crawlers from Tatooine. And, of course, also spread across the planet are ruins of vessels from when the human humanity crash-landed on the planet 150 years ago. Of course, in various states of decay and destruction, there are, of course, plenty of cars running around that wouldn't look out of place in Mad Max or wacky races or anything like that. And, of course, I would be remiss to not talk about the music, one of Trigun's lasting legacies and its most iconic music tracks is, of course, its opening theme. So just simply called HT. This is composed and performed by Suneo Imahori. He's also the composer for the series. Again, this is one of the most iconic music pieces of Trigun's legacy. The director of the first opening was Shigatoshi Takianagi. He also directed the first opening to Hajime no Ippo. So he's like the main storyboarder and the kind of guy that puts all the images together. The storyboards for the opening theme were done by Satoshi Nishimura, the director of the series, and this is one of Takahiro Yoshimatsu's animation credits as well. So he like headed up the animation for the opening sequence of Trigun. And of course, the ending theme is called uh, The Wind Blows to the Future. This was composed and performed by glam rock duo Akima and Neos. This song is their major claim to fame. And the ending animation actually has uh, two separate versions. You have A and B. So the animation credit for the first ending actually goes to Yoshimatsu Ohashi. He also directed and storyboarded uh, episodes 5 and 17 of Trigun. He also supplied key animations for episodes 1 and 26 of the show. So getting back into the composer, again, Suneo Imahori is the music composer for Trigun. He's been around for a while. He's composed music for the Gungrave anime as well as its video games on the PlayStation 2. He's also worked with uh, longtime composer Yoko Kano as a member of her band The Seatbelts. He's also the composer for Hajime no Ippo. And this is a much better example of his music, in my opinion. He's a very talented composer, but for Trigun in particular, I honestly struggle to think of notable songs outside of HT. As far as the general music for Trigun, of course, you have your guitar and like everything like the whole air guitar and more jazzy pieces. Again, just most of the Trigun is kind of like this jazz with a little bit of guitar. Dude likes to play bongos. Bongos play a lot of importance in Trigun's soundtrack. And most of the time, it's just very much in the background. Again, I just can't think of anything off the top of my head. It's not to say the music is bad. It's just it's just there in the background. It just exists. Getting into the release and reception of the series, 
Trigun ran on TV Tokyo from April 1st, 1998 to September 30th, 1998. This is 26 episodes. And in North America, the series was licensed by Pioneer. This is later goes on to be called uh, Geneon USA in uh, 1999. And then this was released in eight DVD sets from March 2000 to May 2001. They kept just releasing those sets. And on March 31st, 2003, Trigun premiered on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim block on the Toonami deal. And in Canada, Geneon actually inked a deal with the G4 TV Anime Current programming block in 2007. But soon after that, announced they would stop home video distribution. And later in 2007, Geneon went out of business. They closed their doors. But soon after that, on July 3rd, 2008, Funimation announced that they had inked a deal with Geneon to distribute select series from that catalog. So they grabbed Trigon along with a couple of other series. We're talking Ergo Proxy, Helsing and Helsing Ultimate, Black Lagoon and, and the Second Barrage, Fate Stay Night, Higurashi, and Rosen Maiden. And later in 2010, Funimation announced a new set of Trigun DVDs, which this is the set that I, that I own. But the current offerings for Trigun are actually under Funimation's Classics labels. Trigun and Trigun Badlands Rumble began streaming on Crunchyroll on May 2022, following Sony's acquisition of the platform and the Funimation brand being rolled under the Crunchyroll umbrella. I'll get into more details on Badlands Rumble when it'll have its own section. So again, this is the end of the staff breakdown and the release. So we're getting into the characters now. So again, this is your second spoiler warning, again, but the series is 25 years old, plus if you've seen Trigun Stampede, they practically ripped that curtain back before the show even got started. They opened on, they opened Trigun Stampede with one of the, with something that was very much kept in the background and was a big reveal of the original series. So I will be going over general spoilers regarding the origins of Vash and Knives, but I'm not going much further beyond that. I'm just trying to inform their dynamic. So this is your last chance. I'll give you like five, four, three, two, one. Okay. So remember what I said about plants and how their function is vital for the survival of the human race on no man's land. Well, the actual truth about what a plant is, a plant is actually an interdimensional like being. This is a living creature that produces energy and raw materials for human consumption. And in some rare cases, a plant can actually gain sentience and take on a humanoid form. They grow from a pod to a young adolescence, basically in the space of a year. And they have extremely long lifespans, uh, incredibly high IQ, and superhuman reflexes. So Vash and Knives are both humanoid plants who live on a spaceship with the small human crew before the humans crash landed uh, into the planet No Man's Land. And so if we're talking about the general setup to Trigun leading to humanity's uh, crash landing on the planet, the general idea is that humanity used up all of Earth's resources, you know, go figure. So they launched a project called Project Seeds, a bunch of seed ships to find another planet to inhabit. Knives and Vash are, again, they were humanoid plants who were discovered by the crew and were originally set to be disposed of, but a woman named Rem Severam convinced the crew to spare their lives. And when the ships themselves were free-falling towards the planet, she ended up saving the brothers again 
by getting them out of the ship in an escape pod. And then Rem sacrificed herself in order to fix the trajectory of the other ships to save as many as she could before her ship was destroyed. So humanity would have just gone down in flames if not for this woman saving at least a small portion of what she did through her actions. So I'm actually going to start the character section by talking about Ram, even though she's really not that prevalent in the main series. She was the mentor and mother figure for Vash and his brother Knives. She has long black hair, wears blue pants, has a also just wears a white shirt, and she's the one who educated the brothers and tried to instill in them the importance of preserving life and nonviolence. Vash models himself after Rem's ideals of pacifism and nonviolence. However, Knives rejected her teachings outright in his hatred for humanity. And again, Rem is long dead by the time Trigun gets going. So most of the time early on in the series, she appears more like an, as an illusion to Vash during times of crisis. And he often calls out to her when he's unsure of what to do. And in these moments, she's usually seen with her back turned to Vash and in a place filled with dancing red flower petals. Rem's Japanese actress is Aya Hasakawa. This is Sailor Mercury from Sailor Moon. And she also voices uh, Kerberos from Cardcaptor Sakura, the little mascot character in that show. And in English, Rem is voiced by Ruby Marlowe, which is one of several aliases for Bridget Hoffman, which a lot of the English cast for the 1998 series voiced Trigon under an alias. So Ruby Marlowe also voiced Lane Iwakura. This is the main character of Serial Experiments Lane. And I also know her as Mima Kiragoe from Perfect from the movie Perfect Blue. Getting into our main characters now, we have Vash the Stampede. He's got spiky blonde hair. He's got that iconic red trench coat. He's got orange sunglasses and that large nickel revolver. He's an absolute goofball in the anime, at least if you let him convince you as such. The anime also employs a fair amount of cartoon physics to his actions. He loves donuts. He absolutely goes googly eyes for the ladies. He'll roughhouse with the kids and let them just completely manhandle him. He's always handy with a joke and goes out of his way to befriend absolutely everyone. But all of these actions are, of course, a mask that he wears to hide his own pain. Vash is actually a very tortured individual. He's lived a long time. He has a lot of scars and he's paid for his attempts to promote peace and nonviolence in the past 150 years. And in the past 20 years, especially, again, he's been mostly on the run, doing what he can to hide his identity from all the bounty hunters. So as Vash is usually a goofball and an idiot while in public, when he's alone, he's usually seen brooding or depressed or having deep thoughts about the decisions that he's made in any particular episode. And in addition to all of his usual superhuman abilities as part of being a humanoid plant, Vash and also Knives, he's able to generate a super weapon called the Angel Arm. And this weapon has the potential to basically destroy the planet. And this angel arm activation is what is responsible for the actual disaster of July. And Vash is absolutely terrified of this power. He keeps it repressed at all cost. And every time his angel arm is activated in the show, it's because of an outside influence. But both times, Vash is able to redirect the blast at the last possible second to avoid destroying the planet. But there's still widespread destruction nonetheless, just because of the sheer power of this weapon. 
So in Japanese, Vash's actor is Masaya Onosako. I know him as Sendo Takeshi from Hajime no Ippo. He's like one of the main rivals to our hero, uh, Ippo. He also voices Pretty Pretty Prisoner from One Punch Man. An absolute unit of a character and really hilarious take on uh, a magical girl parody. I love that character. And of course, in English, you've been waiting for it. The man himself, Johnny Youngbosch. This is a pro- extremely prolific actor and voice actor in video games and anime. He's also a martial artist. From he can he knows like Shaolin Kung Fu. Johnny Young Bosch is just really cool guy all around, and he's had one hell of a career. And in live action, he actually started his career with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. He plays the character Adam Park. Most recently, he's come back for the 30th anniversary reunion movie the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, once and always. You can find this movie on Netflix. But for anime, Johnny Youngbosch actually got his start voicing Kaneda, the main character Kaneda, from the film Akira. This is the 2001 dub. And Vash the Stampede was another career maker in his anime career. And he's since reprised the role for Badlands Rumble in 2010 and came back to voice the role in this year's Trigun Stampede. He's the only person from the original cast to do so. And other notable works I know uh, Johnny for, just uh, I could go on forever, but I'm going to just keep it to Lelouch Rampurouge from Code Geass, that's a big one, and also Isaiah Orihara from Durarara. And getting into the next characters, we have the insurance girls, uh, Meryl Strife and Millie Thompson. So it's kind of a fun dynamic where Meryl and Millie act kind of like as chaperones for Vash, while he constantly tries to duck them and uh, leave them behind or just outright escape them. So our first character, Meryl Strife, she is the level-headed senior of the pair. She has short black hair, blue eyes. She also wears a long white coat, which conceals, I mean, dozens of Derringer pistols. But these almost never come out during the show. She also shares the same pacifist viewpoint as Vash, and it usually joins him in trying to de-escalate the situation. Although, normally by the time she arrives on scene, she's usually too late to really have any impact on the events that are set in motion. And Meryl is particularly frustrated by Vash's antics throughout the series, and it takes several episodes or several manga chapters for her to believe that the man that they are following is indeed Vash the Stampede. But also, by the time that she sees who Vash truly is, she's been following him for a while, and she begins to respect him for what he does And even near the end of the show, it's pretty plain that she is nurturing something of a crush for him. In Japanese, Meryl is voiced by Hiromi Suru. She is also the original voice actress for Bulma in the Dragon Ball series, up through Dragon Ball Z Kai. Hiromi-san died in 2017 and was succeeded by Aya Hisakawa for uh, Bulma. And in English, Meryl Strife is voiced by Dorothy Melendez, and this is another alias for Dorothy Elias Fan. Under the alias Dorothy Melendez, she has also voiced Naru Narusagawa from Love Hina, and she was also the voice of Fujiko Mine in Lupin III, The Castle of Cagliostro, and this was the manga video dub. The second insurance agent is Millie Thompson, and her appearance in the manga is actually slightly different from the anime. In the manga, Millie has uh, more like shoulder-length, curly, blondish hair, while in the anime, her hair is about to her shoulders. 
straight, light brown hair, but in all appearances, she is a very tall woman wearing a canary yellow coat. She also has a green shawl on top of that. And under this coat, she wears the standard company white button-up shirt. She has a tie, brown slacks, and suspenders. Millie's weapon is actually a hilariously large concussion gun, but she calls this thing her stun gun. And the shots from this thing pop out as like this large X-shaped claw. And this thing can knock over trucks. This gun is over 200 pounds, but Millie wields it without an issue. And the strap holding up this monstrosity is constantly breaking, usually at the perfect time in shady saloons when a cowboy or a bounty hunter is trying to hit on her. And then the strap to her gun breaks and drops on the guy's foot. And it makes all the other cowboys rethink their decision to mess with her and Meryl. Millie is voiced by Satsuki Yukino, who is also the voice of a recurring gag character in Trigon. This is the black cat. And you can find this cat appearing in almost every episode. It's kind of like a running joke both in the anime and the manga. Satsuki also voices the heroine Chidori from Full Metal Panic. She's also a singer as part of the Hinata Girls and has provided vocals for a couple of anime series, including Full Metal Panic. She's also provided songs for Love Hina and also Higurashi When They Cry. In English, Meryl, in English, uh, Millie is voiced by Leah Sargent. And Leah is also the director for Trigun's English dub. But if you want a voice acting credit, meet Dorothy Wainwright from The Big O. This is Leah Sargent. So on top of chaperoning Vash, Meryl and Millie have this, have the classic straight-laced co-worker and her ditzy colleague. Millie seems like a complete airhead, and in a lot of cases she is. But in other cases, she can completely diagnose what's going on with Vash. It, it, like she has these weird moments of clarity, almost like Dory from Finding Nemo, just without all the memory issues. Whenever Vash is brooding, Millie is usually the first to figure out what's going on, and she just blurts it out, much to the chagrin of Vash and just the absolute shock of Meryl. Like, where did this come from? And finally, rounding out our uh, core of four characters, we have Nicholas D. Wolfwood, voiced by Sho Hayami in Japanese. He's had a long career since the 80s, and he's still going today. In English, Wolfwood is voiced by Jeff Nimoy, and this is his claim to voice acting fame. Uh, Jeff Nimoy has also been the script and ADR director for the Digimon Adventure series and movies. He also adapted Great Teacher Onizuka for English. So Nicholas D. Wolfwood is another tall man. He has medium brown skin and black hair. He wears a black suit with a white button-down shirt underneath. Uh, Wolfwood's eye color is uh, an interesting deal. I believe most of the time it's dark blue, almost black, but it's also appeared as gray, dark brown, and also black. Wolfwood's also usually smoking some kind of crumpled up cigarette. I think I don't think he has a straight cigarette in any of his packs. It's always some kind of crumpled up or just bent in some way. So again, Wolfwood carries a large cross. And this is in turn revealed to be a walking arsenal of guns. It also has a rocket launcher, also acts as a machine gun. This is the Cross Punisher. For my money, this is one of the most iconic guns in anime. Once he snaps the cover off of this baby, oh man, you are in for a whooping. Get down. There's also a running gag of Wolfwood buying cheap motorbikes that just keep breaking down in the desert. And so most of the time he's introduced by almost dying of thirst in the desert. And in both cases, you can imagine the symbology of a priest 
wandering through the desert while carrying a cross on his back. Like, that's just so laden with irony, it's basically begging for me to elaborate on it. Because, of course, Wolfwood says he's a priest, but practically everything that he says and does acts completely in opposite to what a priest would do. Yeah, he carries a portable confessional with him, and he's great with kids, but like the cross itself is a walking arsenal, and he is very quick to whip out guns. His actions speak to a very different profession, and I'll have more on that in a minute, especially during the review roundup. So moving on to our next character, we're getting into the villains now. So of course, we have our big bad, Millions Knives, voiced by Totoro Furusawa in Japanese. Again, another voice actor starting in the late 80s. He voiced uh, Nakago from Fushigi Yugi. He also has various roles across the uh, After War Gundam Cross series. And in Trigun Stampede, Totoro Furusawa came back to voice the radio DJ. And in English, Knives is voiced by Bo Williams, or also known as the late Kirk Bailey. He has also voiced Shin from the Cowboy Bebop, and I also found a rather fun credit. Bo Williams is the camp counselor Kevin Ugg Lee from Nickelodeon's Salute Your Shorts from the early 90s, that series. And so a little bit about Knives. Uh, As a kid, he actually started off well enough, but he was more curious about humanity than Vash and quickly came to mistrust Rem and the other settlers on the ship when he started to look through human history and found like, oh, humans have just been nothing but violence and wars. And plus the fact that humans left Earth because they used up all their resources. Well, what's going to stop them from just doing the same to another planet? And in terms of his last encounter with Vash, this happened 20 years ago in July City, where he had some really severe injuries. He almost, Knives was almost killed in that encounter. And for most of the early chapters in the manga and in the anime, Knives exists as this like boogeyman in the background. And again, I'll have a little bit more to say about Knives in the review roundup. So getting into the gung-ho guns, we have their leader, Legato Blue Summers, and voiced by Toshihiko Seki. Again, another career, uh, long-time career starting in the mid-80s with a lot of small roles he voiced uh, Kaga Jotaro in Shinseki GPX Cymer Formula Racing Series this is the early 90s. And he also voices uh, Moose from the Ranma 1 Half series. This is the character who turns into a duck when they contact water. Ranma 1 Half is a weird series. Toshihiko is also the voice of Commander Rubara Dom from Irresponsible Captain Tyler. I really like that show as well. But you may rec- recognize Toshihiko Seki by his most current role. He voices Muzan from Demon Slayer, the Swordsmith Village arc. This is the main bad guy in Demon Slayer. So in English, Legato is voiced by Richard Hayworth, again, an alias of Richard Cansino, who voices Yukimaru in the Ninja Scroll movie. He also voices Kenshin Himura, and this is the Sony dub of Rurouni Kenshin. So again, Legato Blue Summers is the leader of the gung-ho guns and Vash's secondary antagonist before Knives enters the scene. You can think of Legato as as close to Knives' right-hand man as that character will let anyone get to him. And Legato's goal is to have Vash experience eternal pain and suffering, as you'll notice in a minute. Legato's powers are vague, but also very powerful. He is a telepath and can also use psychokinesis, So basically, Legato can do whatever the story needs him to do. 
And in the anime, he's more of a straight up satis- sadist. Oh, oh boy. And in the anime, Legato is more of just a straight up sadistic nihilist. But in the manga, he, of course, has more time to be developed. He's still just an absolute evil, irredeemable piece of crap. And his role in the anime and manga is the same. So as the leader of Gung Ho of the Gung Ho Guns, he places Vash in situations where the gunman must either kill or be killed. And even though Vash always figures out a way to survive without finishing off the a member of the Gung Ho Gun targeting him, he still gets hurt by Legato's actions. Because even if a member of the Gung Ho Gun survives their encounter with Vash, that member in turn is killed for not putting an end to Vash, or that member of the gang will just straight up commit suicide because they are afraid of being punished by knives. They'd rather take themselves out than face knives or legato. And again, the gung-ho gun is like, it's a very specific group of villains. It's it's a death cult for knives. So running through them, there are 12 members in total, and I'm not going into detail or actors for all 12, because frankly, most of these guys are disposed of in the same episode or or manga arc they're introduced, and their numbers are also different in the anime versus the manga. So you have some, but there are some rather creative names. So you have Monev the Gale, E.G. the Mine, Kane the Longshot, that's a sniper, Raide the Blade, that's straight up samurai. Uh, you have Gray of the Nine Lives, this is a big hulking cyborg looking dude, Hopper the Gauntlet, Chapel the Evergreen, Mid Valley the Horn Freak, this is a guy who wields a killer saxophone of all things, Dominique the Cyclops, Leonoff the Puppet Master, and Zazie the Beast. And again, most of these guys don't last long after encountering Vash, but I do want to highlight two members who play more significant roles for the villain side, because as the gung-ho guns are just rapidly depleting their numbers, you can imagine the manga author and also just the, the writers in general are like, okay, we're burning through these guys pretty fast. There has to be a longer game to this. So first off, there is Chapel the Evergreen. Chapel the Evergreen is a member and a leader of an organization called the Eye of Michael. And this is an assassin order formed by a church that worships plants. And this order would naturally be a major supplier of equipment and personnel for knives. Because, you know, knives being this, being a plant, a sentient plant, knives is like the closest thing to a god that the Eye of Michael has. And so Chapel himself is the mentor for Wolfwood. And in the manga, Wolfwood comes from an or- orphanage, whereas in the anime, Wolfwood has a different origin, but he establishes an orphanage. But in the manga, the Eye of Michael uses this orphanage as a recruitment base. And so Nicholas was essentially forced into this organization and forced to undergo intense training and also the body modifications and various things to be turned into an assassin for that order. And his cross punisher weapon is the Eye of Michael's primary weapon of choice. So Chapel himself is an older gentleman who is bound to a wheelchair. He's generally wearing a nice suit and he also has red goggles grafted to his face. Nicholas Wolfwood is actual Nicholas Wolfwood is the one who actually put Chapel in said wheelchair. This was in order to infiltrate the gung-ho guns and get his shot at knives. Chapel naturally wants to pay back the favor to Wolfwood and is currently tracking him down. So the Eye of Michael becomes a sort of secondary antagonist group 
headed by Chapel and a couple of other guys who uh, essentially come from the same orphanage as Wolfwood. And so there's a little bit more interplay there. But in the anime, the Eye of Michael is more just like a straightforward bad guy group attached to the gung-ho guns. So the second one I want to highlight real quick is Leonoff the Puppet Master. But really just, again, because of his manga version, we get a taste of what he can do in the anime shortly after uh, episode 18 rolls around, which which starts the uh, adaptation point of Trigun Maximum as much as was available at the time. But this guy, well, boy howdy, like he gets up to some really dirty stuff in the manga. Because essentially this guy's power is he can turn people into puppets. And the, the what's scary about these puppets is they can even hold on to bits of their uh, personality from when they were alive. So there are in some encounters in the anime and the manga where the puppet master is manipulating events behind the scenes or just straight up throwing an entire army of puppets at Fash and Wolfwood. He's honestly one of the more terrifying members of the gung-ho guns next to Legato. So as far as my general thoughts on the 1998 series of Trigun, I find it to be an enjoyable mixed bag. For this revisit, I of course read the manga and watched the show roughly at the same time, and I took a couple of notes regarding some of the key differences. So there are just a couple of things that I wanted to highlight that I found interesting. So for instance, episode 12 of the anime, Diablo, this plays out a bit differently in the anime than it did in the manga, because at this point, we're almost halfway through the anime, whereas this part of the manga was actually the second arc. This is when the gung-ho guns are actually introduced. And so this is where Legato meets Vash in the town square and plays a little game with him. And in the manga, Legato actually gives Vash a case of coins, but each coin is it's only half a coin. And each member of the gung-ho guns is holding that other half of the coin. And so the idea is Legato is giving this case to Vash in order to complete a set of coins to gain an advantage against Legato. Once, like, you know, essentially, like, if you want to take on the final boss, you got to get through all of my minions. And in this meeting, Monev the Gale is introduced as gung-ho guns number one. And in the manga, he actually shoots off Vash's left arm. So in the manga, Vash is actually sheltering from Monev in the bank vault, loading his gun with his teeth, whereas he's got his left arm stump tied up in this hasty tourniquet. And he's using the bank vault as a shelter from Monav the Gale, which again is the same as the anime, but again in the manga, Monav just took off Vash's left arm. But the conclusion to the fight plays out roughly the same, but after this encounter against Monav, Vash spends the rest of the Trigun manga with only his right arm. And at the time skip into Maximum, as soon as Maximum starts, Vash has both arms again, and we see Vash being fitted for a prosthetic in a flashback sequence in like the first or second chapter of Trigun Maximum. Whereas in the anime, they explain Vash's prosthetic left arm in a flashback to his battle with Knives. In that fight, Knives shoots off Vash's left arm, and so sometime in between the events of July and now, Vash has been fitted for that prosthetic. Like I said earlier, Wolfwood's introduction to anime is also out of order, but the general scene is actually still the same, with Vash spotting Wolfwood from the desert bus. And in the anime, it's episode 15 is when the gung-ho guns assemble at Genora Rock. Uh, Vash's fight with Dominique the Cyclops is different because in the anime, he fights her at the top of Genora Rock. 
versus the manga where they were actually fighting in the streets. I believe she fought him just outside of the, the town saloon. On episode 16, when the angel arm is activated at Augusta City, it is, of course, Knives' awakening in the manga that triggers that angel arm, whereas in the anime, Legato uh, uses his psychokinesis to trigger Vash's angel arm. And I do have to say, I find the gung-ho guns to be an interesting group of antagonists, but for the most part, most of them don't have a deep backstory or, frankly, interesting setup, but the characters themselves all have very distinct designs and powers, uh, some of them are ranging more science fiction, others more supernatural, and a few that are just plain up hilarious bullshit, like the Mid-Valley of the Horn Freak, like a killer saxophone, really? Also, another uh, detail about the anime's version of the Fifth Moon incident, the fight where Vash's angel arm is activated by Legato actually takes place against Raidei the Blade and E.G. Mine. But in this version, Raidei uh, kills E.G. Mine mid-fight because E.G. Mine is basically taken down immediately. But uh, when the angel arm is activate, uh, the samurai man runs away from the scene to get away from the angel arm. And as he stumbles out of the out of the rubble, he's actually executed by Wolfwood. Whereas in the manga, E.G. Mine introduces himself like immediately after Vash uh, almost kills Monev the Gale. Also, just uh, as far as pacing for the manga, the initial run of Trigun feels like chapters go by like mile a minute. Like we are burning through gung-ho gun encounters. But at the same time, Vash is getting more and more worn down. I find the Trigun Maximum series is much better paced, just as Night Howl is not having to worry about his series being canceled because of a magazine closure. But even then, the gung-ho guns are still a focal point for a large chunk of chapters. And also, Knives in the anime doesn't show up for several episodes. He's only mentioned in passing a couple of times. His appearance in the anime isn't so much a surprise as a where have you been this whole time? Like, you're the main bad guy. Where the heck have you been? And most of the time, Knives, we only know that he's a threat through vague flashback and a few offhand comments by Vash. We at least get a good idea of Knives going into episode 17, where the curtain is finally pulled back and we get the origin story for Vash and Knives and the whole uh, human colonization project for Seeds and their relationship with the Rim. And episode 17 is where, like, Trigon just goes full sci-fi for an episode and we also get to see the origin of why knives hates humanity and his whole relationship with vash although this isn't so much as the anime's fault as it is like he just wasn't he just wasn't set up at this time trigon maximum uh took more time to set up knives through the series but at this point uh knives motivation for hating humans is a little weak in the anime it's more just because one guy in the crew was really, really, really mean to him and called them monsters. But again, the anime was also just had this crucial detail missing for why Knives essentially snapped because it wasn't there yet. I'll just go on to say that in the anime, in the manga, uh, there's a detail of Vash and Knives aren't the first humanoid plants to be discovered by the crew. And I'm just going to leave that hanging there and you can basically guess that would be the major factor for Knives turning. But there is one last little detail I enjoy about the anime 
uh, as far as the opening credits, because after the fifth moon incident and the destruction of Augusta City, uh, beginning with episode 18, the anime's opening credits changes from Vash's wanted poster to an evacuation order. And I have a lot more to say, more like at the end of this episode, but we still have one stop left because it is time for part two of the episode. Next up, Trigon, Badlands Rumble. How dare you treat Vash the Stampede like this? Do you know my reputation? You'll pay for this! <laughs> you kidding that skinny bonehead? No way! He'd blow away on a stiff breeze! No way! Come on! That's the vengeful monster, not a chick's boy toy! Oh, yeah, maybe he's got something wrong upstairs talking about Or he's doing cosplay! He's dressed just like the damn wanted poster! <laughs> Here I am! Vash the Stampede! <laughs> okay, okay, you're the real Vash. I don't think he looks like him at all! Thank you! Thank you very much! I'm a bona fide hit! No, you're a bona fide jackass! I'm a legendary outlaw with a bounty on his head! Stop! I'm so scared! There's a limit to recklessness. Gasback is no match for Vash. As things stand now, we're screwed. So this is the production story of Trigon Badlands Rumble. This is a theatrical film animated by Studio Madhouse and produced by Shonen Gahosha. This is the magazine that originally ran Trigon and Maximum. Also produced by Flying Dog, which is the current name for the Victor Entertainment Company of Japan. Been through a couple of mergers and name changes from them. And the final production committee member is the company Clockworks which is a film production and distribution company in Shibuya, Tokyo. This is an original story by Satoshi Nishimura and Yasuhiro Naitao. They brought him in to make an original story. Uh, Satoshi Nishimura comes back to direct the film. We also have a script and screenplay by Yasuko Kobayashi, who's done series composition for Claymore, Kashrin Sins, Shakugan no Shana, and later all three seasons of Attack on Titan with Studio Wit. And we have character designs and chief animation director Takahiro Yoshimatsu. And we have Noriyuki Jingyoji reprising their role as mechanical designer. Also, there's a new credit, uh, Weapon Supervision, also overseen by Satoshi Nishimura. And a person named Noriyasu Yamayochi is also a, he's generally works as an animation supervisor, a mech, de- a mech designer, and a character designer. So as a character designer, Yamauchi, uh, this dude likes his cheesecake. He did the characters for Agent Ika, Stratos 4, and Najika Blitz Tactics. These are all uh, etchy series with uh, attractive female characters showing a lot of leg. Uh, he also has an uncredited role for Project Echo. This is a film that I'm definitely covering on this show uh, probably next year. It just has a crazy wild production story as well. He's also done mech designs for City Hunter in 1991, done guns, cars, planes, etc. We have a newer credit. This is the CG director, the computer graphics director. So Eiji Inamoto. And right now he's primarily attached to Studio Orange. 
and was also the CG director for Trigun Stampede. Some of his earlier credits go towards uh, CG animation on the Tachikoma animation block. This is a short little post-credits, post-episode sequence from Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex 1 and 2. The little robots on that show just have uh, various conversations and get up to different antics. He was also the uh, CG director on Ghost in the Shell Arise, the OVA series and the movie. And as part of Studio Orange, he was the chief CG director for their hit shows Lands of the Lustrous and Beastars. So for the synopsis of the film, Trigun Badlands Rumble is an in-between story set sometime in the middle of episodes 10 and 12 to avoid any sort of pesky story continuity issues. So it is a standalone adventure, as you might expect. But also, funnily enough, there is a part two to this adventure, with it, which has a sort of soft setup at the end of the film. The second half to Badlands Rumble was published as Trigun Multiple Bullets, which was written and illustrated by Yasuhiro Naitao. Uh, check it out if you want. It's a fun read. But getting back to the task at hand, Trigun Badlands Rumble opens 20 years before the events of Trigun proper, and this opens on a bank robbery by an outlaw named Gasback and his gang. What a name. In this robbery, uh, Gasback is betrayed by his gang and is shot by their ringleader, Kane, uh, appropriate. Gasback is left to be caught by the police, but Vash the Stampede just happens to be in that very bank, and he saves Gasback's life but also intervenes before Gasback can shoot Kane or the other guys in retaliation. And because of this, Gasback also manages to escape the law and continue his life of crime, but the outlaw swears vengeance on the men who betrayed him. So we jump forward 20 years to the present in what is Maka City, and it is a town surrounded by quicksand and sort of sand pits. The mayor, Kepler, has brought in bounty hunters from far and wide, to protect the town because there are rumors that Gasback is in the area and he is likely to rob the place. And also, the bounty hunters want a crack at that rather hefty reward money. Merrill and Millie are also in town as insurance agents for both the town's plant and a statue of the mayor that the, he built for himself. So they are briefly off the Vash the Stampede detail in order to protect the Bernadelli Insurance Society's interests with the town because the company would essentially go bankrupt if either the plant or the statue were destroyed. And the town is one big powder keg. So Merrill is just losing hair and sleep over this whole affair. And so naturally Vash and Wolfwood are in town as well, including a new character who is a female bounty hunter named Amelia. And Vash has the hots for her much to the chagrin of Merrill Vash follows Amelia around a lot, just kind of dogging her like a lost puppy. Uh, the, so the movie follows, as you might expect, Gasback is trying to take his revenge against his former compatriots, and Vash is there to attempt to stop him from killing anyone. Amelia also is a character with a connection to Gasback, which causes this interesting three-way conflict with Gasback at the center, trying to get revenge. Vash is trying to stop all the violence, and Amelia is trying to get her revenge against Gasback for various reasons. And overall, it's a nice side adventure for the crew, as well as a neat reunion project for the staff at Madhouse, alongside what would be the latest animation tech at the time. So before I get into the characters again, 
I want I want to go over the release and reception for the movie because rumors of a Trigun movie were first revealed way back in 2005 in the Neo magazine's October issue. Uh, Neo was this monthly magazine printed in the UK and Ireland, so they initially broke the news. And in this issue was an interview with producer and co-founder of Madhouse. This was an interview with Masao Maruyama where he revealed a Trigun movie was currently in the very early early stages of pre-production. This was later confirmed by another magazine, this was Anime Insider, in their November 2005 issue. They had a follow-up uh, concerning the Trigun movie. But in later, in 2007, Yasuhiro Naitao confirmed that a Trigun movie was indeed in the early stages of development, but was mum on the details. 2008 rolls around, and more information about the movie is revealed, on the cover of Trigun Maximum's 14th manga volume cover with a with a stated 2009 release window but in the fall of 2009 the official website for the film amended the Japanese premiere date to spring 2010 Trigun Badlands Rumble was first shown actually to American audiences not Japanese this was shown at the Seattle Washington SakuraCon on April 2nd 2010 but the movie was still in its original Japanese with subtitles and then ran twice more over the con's weekend. Funimation later announced at Anime Expo that they had licensed Badlands Rumble for theatrical and home video release, and this announcement was made with the film's producer uh, Shigeru Kitayama present as well. Along with their acquisition of the Trigun film, Funimation announced more acquisitions from the Jinion catalog, which would include Technolize, Serial Experiments Lane, I Yori Aroishi, and much of Tenshi Muyo. Trigun Badlands Rumble premiered on U.S. television on the Toonami block of Adult Swim the night of December 28th, 2013. Now, I heard about this premiere, but I actually missed out on it. And I actually watched Badlands briefly on Netflix when it was available. For a fair bit of the early 2010s and like late 2000s, Netflix would just randomly have anime pop in and out of their service before they stepped officially into the licensing game in 2014 with their series, Nice of Sidonia. But I would just randomly see anime just crop up on Netflix and disappear for no real reason. So this is where I actually first watched Trigun uh, Badlands in English. But of course, like I said earlier, you can find uh, Badlands Rumble on Crunchyroll. This is subbed and dubbed. You can also find it for free on Tubi TV, but this is in sub only. Also, if you have a Funimation subscription or Hulu, you can find Badlands over there as well. You can also pick up the movie for less than 20 bucks on uh, Right Stuff Anime and get their excellent shipping to boot. So we're going to jump into characters. And for the Japanese cast, all of those actors return to reprise their roles. However, the English cast is all new except for Johnny Yongbosh. So Vash the Stampede, uh, Masaya Onosaka returns, and of course Johnny Youngbosh returns to voice the character in English. Shohayami returns to voice Wolfwood, and for the English version we have Brad Hawkins, who voices Guido from that time I got reincarnated as a, as a slime, and also he voices the character Goblin Slayer from Goblin Slayer. And for Meryl Strife, this is Hiromi uh, Suru's final role as the character before her death in 2017. And in English, Meryl is voiced by Lucy Christian. This is a popular actress with Funimation. She voices uh, Ayase Chihaya from Chihaya Furu. She voices, of course, Nagisa Furukawa from Clan Lad. 
And also Hestia from Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon? It's more like a high-profile series. For Millie Thompson, her hair, is, what I noticed about Millie's hair in this one is it's back to Dirty Blonde for this movie. So they kind of went back to uh, a little bit of Millie's manga design for the movie. Again, Satsuki Yukino returns to voice the character. And in English, we have Trina Nishimura, who voices Lanfan from Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood. And she also voices Mari from the Evangelion Rebuild movies. So getting into the newcomer characters, we have Amelia, voiced by Maya Sakamoto. She is Hitomi Kanzaki from The Vision of Escaflone. That's our main character. Uh, also, remember, she is the voice of Krona from Soul Eater, as well as the voice of Matako Kusanagi from Ghost in the Shell. In English, we have another popular actress from Funimation dubbing, Colleen Klinkenbeard. She voices Mari Mjolnir from Soul Eater, who is a side character I didn't cover in that episode, but for context, Mari is important to Professor Frankenstein from the Soul Eater deal. But Colleen's big role with Funimation is, of course, being the voice of Monkey D. Luffy for all of Funimation dubs of One Piece, Gasback. He's voiced by Satomo Isobe, who voices Heinz from uh, this collection of films called Memories. He's in the Magnetic Rose segment. He's excellent from there. He's also uh, Vincent from the Cowboy Bebop, the movie. Also the detective Heinrich Runge from Naoki Urasawa's Monster. Also, like he just voices a lot of uh, just older gentlemen across anime. He's got a very gruff voice, or he can also like be very smooth. In English, Gasback is voiced by John Swayze, and he is the ADR and director for the Vinland Saga. This is the Sentai dub. He's also the ADR director for To Love Ru, as well as Ushio and Tora, to, to name a couple of series. I mostly know John Swayze uh, first from a character named Huang from Dark and the Black. He's like the handler for this uh, secret agent. And he's got a very rough and gravelly voice, which fits Gaspak perfectly. But for something more mainstream, uh, John Swayze is the voice of Gendo Ikari during the Evangelion rebuild movies. We also have the mayor who uh, is Kepler, but this is also Gasback's former colleague and the ringleader of the guys who betrayed him. So his he's changed his name to Kepler, but this is the bandit Kane. And in Japanese, he's voiced by Ben Shimada, who what I found interesting is Ben Shimada is the Japanese voiceover for Luke Skywalker from Star Wars Episodes 5 and 6. The, this is the special edition. But for anime, he is the voice of Broly in Dragon Ball Super, the uh, superheroes. And he's also the voice of Goki Shibukawa from the current run of Baki the Grappler series. In English, Kepler is voiced by Kent Williams. He voices Dr. Gero, uh, Supreme Kai, and the Elder Kai from Dragon Ball Z, as well as the Budokai Tenchi uh, video games. He also voices the zombie Sid Barrett from Soul Eater. And getting into a little bit of the world design and world building of Trigun, in my opinion, Trigun has never looked better than Badlands Rumble. And that, that includes Trigun Stampede. And I don't know if that's a hot take or not. If you were just to watch one thing from Trigun, I would pick Badlands Rumble as the one piece of Trigun media. If you were just going to watch one thing of Trigun media, I would immediately direct you to Badlands Rumble. The art director, Akiba Minoru, had a really deft approach to the world design of this iteration of Trigun. And leading into Badlands, he has a lot of experience with uh, backgrounds, particularly with the Pokemon movies, starting with uh, Jirachi the Wishmaker, which also has a lot of barren environments. 
but he also has experience with the Diamond and Pearl eras of Pokemon, as well as the X and Y movies. He also went on to be the art director for Onihei, as well as Grand Blue. He's currently the art director on the Rent-A-Girlfriend series. There's a lot more designs with the bandits, a lot of varied deals. The town of Maka is very well uh, fleshed out and detailed. And what's essentially the desert planet, they find a lot more iterations to just interject a little bit more color into the world and it's just a lot more visually interesting the cgi is also not terribly intrusive if you don't mind cg cars and the sand steamers you know a couple of the buildings also the bronze statue is cg the plant is cg but there is also the environmental effects of the sand blowing across the terrain and and i think that really enhances just the general vibe of trigon there's also a fun little touches throughout the film, such as in that opening bank robbery, there's a sign with no bank robbers allowed with a smiling, uh, like the bank director smiling and he's holding up this no bank robbers allowed sign. You also have like the crazy ass bank security in the vault of just all of the traps from laser beams to needle ceilings and chainsaws and just everything. There's a detail of like the wanted poster is floating over Vash's face, like his face is being obscured by his own wanted poster. Wolfwood also really shines in this movie as well. The tradition of him almost dying of thirst in the desert is upheld as he's actually picked up by Gasback and serves a brief stint as the outlaw's uh, bodyguard. Also, most importantly, we see more of the cross punisher in action than really that we saw in the entire 1998 series. There's everything. We get a little bit of, there's so much fan service in this movie as well. We get a little bit of Vash versus Wolfwood as Wolfwood is trying to protect Gasback. Uh, Wolfwood even gets an opportunity to wear Vash's sunglasses at one point, those iconic orange shades. And he wears them very well. Vash also gets to square off against Gasback. Gasback squares off against the entire town of Maka. And it's just a delight. It's just a, such a feast. He also has this uh, gambling motif of like the whole roll the dice and gambling. He's he's uh, just a big hulking brute of a man and his hands are just like just utterly massive. And so he's got this weird thing of when he's actually when he's punching you, he's actually flicking you in the forehead with his index finger. But his hand is so big that even just getting flicked in the forehead by his finger is like the equivalent of just getting punched in the face. And he's also, in between his robbery and his assault on Maka, he's got this really cool mechanical arm. Like This is the coolest thing since Barrett from Final Fantasy VII. It's got a machine gun mode. It's got a crowd control, a rocket launcher mode. He also has a freaking EMP. Like This gauntlet is a nightmare. And to even cap it off, he has a sidearm. And this is, air quotes, pistol. But again, Gasback is so big that even this pistol is like this four bullet shotgun and again like the whole action scene of him taking on an entire town of bounty hunters is just so cool and later as wolfwood and amelia team up to take out Gasback's hideout we get to see just how cool wolfwood is and his various modes of the cross punisher and really like there's so many moments of just really excellent choreography in badlands the world design, like the saloons are all lively. There's a fun little barroom brawl where Vash is sneaking around, just 
trying like, hey, can we settle down, guys? Hey, we were all just enjoying a nice meal. Can we just kind of, can we just not? And the whole time he's crawling all along the ground. I was like, what is he doing? And one of the guys finally snaps and pulls his gun, which means all of the bounty hunters in the bars are everyone's pulling a gun and you just hear clicks all around. They're like, what the hell? And Vash is seen hiding under a table with just an armful of bullets. He stole, he stole all the bullets from every gun in the bar. And it's just so Trigun. It's just peak Trigun. It's peak Vash the Stampede. It is just everything I could have asked for in this film. And to kind of segue this into the review roundup proper for just Trigun anime as a whole, I just really like this show. There are a few couple of rough patches to be sure. The There are some flaws that are a little bit more obvious than others. If there are any sort of big animation hiccups, the animation quality kind of swings on a pendulum sometimes between episodes and the original run. And again, like I said, the music is serviceable in the main series, but I just don't have any tracks that really stick in my brain aside from the opening and ending credits. However, I do have to say Imahori, uh, Sunao Imahori really stepped it up for Badlands. And he keeps the guitar and bongos, of course, but he mixes in a lot more instruments and like different styles of jazz and also just goes more like straight rock and roll in other ways. Like the music in Badlands just takes a bigger stage than the original anime. And you can really feel that music, that musical budget when they're working more like a movie project. And there's even a remix of HT, which is just absolutely excellent. Uh, for the 1998 series, another thing is on top of the animation quality, you know, yeah, the English is a little awkward at times, but it is also charming in its own way. Johnny Young Bosch, to me, is the definitive voice of Vash the Stampede. And he really comes into his own in the later episodes of the anime. Like, he really nails down that character. And Vash is an incredibly hard character to voice act because you have to both do this extremely goofy and over-exaggerated screaming and all these antics and just and just weird sound effects but then you also have to be able to carry a scene with Vash being more serious. And you can really feel it in Badlands as well, where not only is he reprising a role of a character, he's also had a lot more experience voicing various different roles across anime. So by the time he's stepping back in the boots of Vash the Stampede, you can really feel his confidence. And yeah, I really do have a fondness for the original English cast. I also don't mind the newcomers for Badlands, but I... I, I do wish that they could have, just because like they brought the entire Japanese cast back, how fitting would it have been to bring back the original voice cast for Trigun? But, you know, sometimes it never quite works out. And as tradition apparently dictates for Trigun Stampede, the Crunchyroll company continues to be a bunch of jerks who only let Johnny Youngbosch come back for Vash Stampede because obviously there would be rioting in the streets if he wasn't. But for everyone else... It's going to be its new characters again. And if there's one main thing that I have to complain about Vash's character is, yeah, he's got a bit of a womanizing aspect to him. Most of it is like played up for, for laughs and he's like very much like a puppy love and the women are clearly not having any of it and they just keep him in his place and he's just strung along like a lovesick idiot. It's still like, you know, it's just not really, it's one of those 90s things that doesn't really hold up too well. And he's also like just outright harassing Amelia throughout the Badlands movie. Like I was, I had forgotten like just kind of, he, he goes a little, uh, it, it's a little much. And yeah, it's another aspect to his character where like 
yeah, you can see his actions and then look at it in hindsight to how, yeah, Vash was dogging Amelia the entire time of the movie, but he was also protecting her. And it's the same way with Meryl and Millie and the rest of the ladies that he uh, flirts with throughout the series. But even so, it's it's still that aspect, and it's it's a bit much at times. But of course, this is a mask. This is just another mask that Vash wears. And one thing that I have found is I find that Trigun opens itself to a lot of interpretations. If we're talking about the dynamics and just the character of Vash the Stampede. A big question through the series is, who is Vash the Stampede? And I'm not going to try and ask this question, or I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to answer this question. That's not really the goal of this episode. But I do have a couple of observations that, at least that what, how I see the character. And what I see is Vash's pacifism isn't true pacifism, in that it's driven by fear. It's a fear of falling short. It's a fear of himself, what he can do, what he has done, and what he can become. In his visions, uh, Vash sees Rem, you know, with her back to him. And that's basically representing an impossible ideal. No matter how many people he saves, in the end, Vash just hates himself. And his entire saving lives and trying to keep everyone alive is just him trying to balance the most impossible scales in the world. And in a lot of the times, Vash's hypocrisy is his biggest downfall in a given situation. Wolfwood as well. This is a man haunted by both his past and his current way of life. As a member of the Eye of Michael, he just goes, flies in the face of everything that a priest apparently uh, stands for, even though he was forced into the order as a kid. And it was, you know, live with the order or die, and he chose to live. But even so, Wolfwood carries a lot of guilt, and he believes himself to be a lost cause. But this pessimism also carries over to the people that he encounters. Wolfwood kills without mercy when threatened. And honestly, a lot of the time, his dynamic with Vash is he sees Vash's way of doing things as a pretty much a pointless endeavor. But at the same time, Wolfwood just hates himself that he doesn't have the strength to do what Vash does or to carry out or to believe in people. His worldview is very black and white. Wolfwood would rather would rather take out the source of a problem and remove all possibility of that person doing an evil again than try and spare an individual. And this dynamic between Vash and Wolfwood is something that is really open for interpretation and a lot of exploration, and it's a lot of fun to really dive into it, as well as there's a ton of Christian iconography and references to go through. Nighthow himself is not a Christian, but he's, you can tell that he finds a lot of the ideals of sin and punishment and the ideas of redemption. He pulls a lot of that and he explores that in the Trigun manga. And this is something that is better explored in on the written page. There's more time for introspection versus the anime. The Trigun manga was also not quite in full swing by the time the show came out. You know, it kept going for almost 10 years after the anime came out. So a lot of these themes that I just covered aren't really established yet. Nightow is still setting things up, and they wouldn't really come to their conclusion until years later. But that being said, despite their uh, clashing ideals, Vash and Wolfwood have this great buddy cop dynamic. And these two guys just get up to all sorts of hijinks and 
are chatty, even during intense gunfights. And just to talk about the ending to Trigon a little bit. Yeah, it's not a great ending, but I honestly don't mind how the Trigon anime ends. This is a case of, I think, the journey being greater than the destination. And again, like I said before, I don't think Knives is a particularly strong villain in the anime as far as his manga counterpart. But again, there was like nine more years of the manga for him to be built up. But as it stands, I think the anime did as well as it could by him. And I honestly don't mind the conclusion is at least nowadays as I did the first time I watched it as a teenager I did not like the ending to this anime but now this is something more that because I like and I understand more of what Trigun is trying to say I'm more open to like okay yeah that's a fine ending I think in summation Vash and Wolfwood are men who I find they just they they're both men who refuse to forgive or at least Wolfwood's forgiveness is at the end of a gun barrel but Vash is a person who forgives others way too easily out of a desperation to redeem himself but no matter what happens Vash refuses to forgive himself and once I realized this aspect just a couple of years ago during my more recent especially during my more recent rewatch of Trigon and reread of the manga once I realized that you know, Vash's character is all about this desperate need for redemption. This kind of put everything in clarity for even his more his most silliest antics. Vash is a incredibly complex character, despite what he wants you to believe. And there are so many ways to interpret him and his character that I honestly don't feel like I'm personally equipped. Like this would be a completely different kind of podcast episode. So instead. I actually am going to refer to you to an excellent YouTube channel called Bonsai Pop. And they've done several video essays breaking down the morality of Trigun and its characters. Uh, These videos will be posted in the show notes and also check out a couple of their other ones. They do a lot of great work of just, I I love their video essays on Trigun and others. And I know that I've gone all over the place a little bit in in trying to wrap this up, but Trigun also kind of goes all over the place. Both versions of the anime and the manga just have these sudden tonal whiplash. Like just, they just take these narrative right hooks. And Vash himself swings between this, you know, Looney Tunes cartoon and an incredibly tortured man in the space of an episode. But in conclusion, I think that's the secret sauce to Trigun. Because there's a lot of the goofiness happening on the surface that can be shrugged off in the moment. But Trigun itself is a series that, in the background of, hey, look over here, funny stuff and gun battles, in the background, it's slowly assembling these pieces of a puzzle. I find Trigun to be an incredibly fascinating series that it's a it's a show that sticks in my mind even years after watching it. And I re- really enjoyed my uh, revisit for this episode. And so overall, I, I have to give Trigun a definitive must-watch. So thank you for listening to this latest episode, this latest long episode of the Treehouse Anime Club. Again, you can check us out on Instagram at the Treehouse Anime Pod. You can stay up to date with the show, plus extra goodies. And if you are so inclined, there is a link to our Discord in the show notes as well. Copy that in and you should get in. This is a 30-day invite, so it should be good 30 days, roughly 30 days after this episode. So I hope you stick around for our next episode in two weeks. And I hope to see you there. Thank you so much for listening.